friends, welcome to Kusini, the African grind, where we bring you the stories of young Africans from across the region, highlighting the good, the bad, and the ugly of building ventures or movement, and how they find balance in what they do. Thanks for choosing to be with us. I'm one half of your host, Maggie. And I'm the other half, Idel. Let's get into it. Welcome everyone to another episode of Kusini, the African Grind. And today we are very, very excited to be joined by Zambi Mate, who is the founder of Jijenge Makers. Uh, they manufacture bricks from recycled plastics. Um, we're really excited because not only is she an innovator in her field, she is doing something really good for the environment, for the economy. And we're just excited to hear about like her journey conceptualizing this and seeing how far she's come. Welcome, Zambi. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Um, one thing I'm really excited about is uh, not only what you've done, but your energy. Honestly, like every video I've seen you talking about your business, you can tell that you are passionate about it. And I just want to know, like, what started that passion? As in, you can just tell this is something that you, it's like your baby. <laughs> So what started this question of yours? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so I cannot tell you like any specific day or any specific event, like are mm-hmm. you a Eureka moment. Mm-hmm. But what I can say is for for a for a very long time, like I even when I was small, I always knew I my purpose in life was impact something, like to do something to improve the environment. Mm-hmm. That was something I was sure of. Mm. And that came with, uh, I think all of you know Wangari Mazai. Yes, mm. the OGD. Yes. So there's this video I saw in the 90s when she was uh, like uh, going against uh, people developing in Karura Forest. And then mm. she was showing where she had, she was cut. I don't know if you can remember that yes. video. Yes, distinctly remember that, that video. She mm. had dreadlocks and, and, and mm. she was showing during like the, the demonstration where she got hurt due to the like the police. So I saw that video when I was small and I think that was one of the most powerful things ever. Because I was like, he's an individual who is going against all odds, the extent of almost going against the government to stand for what she believes in as far as environmental conservation. And I didn't know that that planted a seed. I was I was like plus minus around between like eight to ten years around there. Wow. And then I, of course, I, I forgot, like, you know, forget, but it, it was just buried subconscious. And then as I continue growing up uh, and all that stuff, I did Bachelor of Science in Physics in Jeopardy. My major was in Geophysics, minor was in Material Science. And because of that, I found myself in the oil and gas space. So that was actually my first uh, job experience in the oil and gas space. Mm-hmm. And that was, ideally speaking, almost exact opposite mm-hmm. of what it is that build my like black like fueled that image, the image of which like that video planted. So I did a lot of data, like data analysis, and I saw the impact of, the, especially the environmental impact assessment reports. And like I would read them and I would see the impact of like just general as far as maybe plastic pollution is concerned, or marine, marine like um, marine plastic pollution or other different pollutions impacting the marine space. The, the degradation and the loose, the losing of the fauna and, uh, and flora space, like all those stuff, like the, the, the scientific aspect. I like that. 
then one day I woke up, I was in 2015, I decided, I don't think I like my job. And it's not because the job was bad or there was anywhere like poor working conditions, but I just didn't like the job. And I realized it never sparked that feeling, the feeling I got when I was eight or nine years. So I decided to quit and, and, and fuel that thought. It sounded very idealistic, especially at that point in time when I was telling my family, I am quitting a job in the oil and gas space. One of them was providing you money. <laughs> yes, uh, providing upkeep, all that stuff. I am quitting that and I am starting to play with in, in my mom's words. Anyone actually here so that you can start playing with plastic. And that was very confusing, but I think that was the best decision I ever made in life. So yeah, I love it. You mentioned why that made you move from your age to five, a very stable age to five, to into an area whereby you weren't sure how it's going to go. So how did you come specifically to this idea and concept of using recycling plastic to make alternative building products? That's what she was really good at. And for me, my tool of trade, I knew was science and engineering because that's what I'm good at. So with that said and done, I started doing research and seeing what, using my tool of trade of science and engineering, what can I do to impact my, like to create a dent and to show people practical ways to recycle plastic. Because plastic, uh, for the longest time in Kenya, plastic has, uh, Kenya has taken some really good strides in terms of, um, especially the government, in terms of like uh, regulating single-use plastic waste. But then on the flip side of that, the system is fully structured to a way that the sensitization makes sense, practical sense. It might make um, a legal sense because the government tells you, well, don't, if you don't carry, if you carry this bag, you'll get fined X amount of shillings or you will go to jail X amount of days. Mm. But practically, you don't do it because you see the practical sense. You do it because yeah. it's a legal mandate. That's true. So I wanted to, to find a way in which it makes practical sense for people. Because to change mindsets, you need time, you need, like, you need all, not only resource, time, but you also need just a drastic, a drastic force. But the drastic force doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be like gigantic. It has to start like a small seed you plant in people's heads. Using that concept in mind, I then moved to metal because in Kenya, you will never see scrap metal anywhere. Yeah, because you can think I'm lying, go and <laughs> Oh my goodness, very mm. true, very true. Money. Mm. No, because metal has money. The, circular, the recycling and the circular like, recycling system of uh, metal is really defined because metal has value from beginning to the end of life and then beginning to the end and then beginning to the end. Mm. So using the same school of thought, I thought, why don't we use the same logic? It's plastic. So then using those two things, I now decided, well, where's the best way to make the most practical sense? Especially in Kenya, where Kenya is a mass market, where uh, you might have the best sustainable solution, but if it doesn't make all that, it's as good as a story. So I thought I needed something that will impact the three basic needs, food, shelter, and clothing. And what is the practical one? Shelter. Yeah. And actually, I, I like what you said at the end. I think you're, if, if I'm not wrong, Dijenge is a for-profit. It is a for-profit company, correct? Yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, 
I'd like to hear your perspective. Sometimes when we are very passionate about something like social causes, the way you're saying the environment, it's very easy to always look towards solutions that rely on some external funding, um, donor funding, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's really, to be honest, refreshing to see you tackle like an issue you're passionate about, but it makes economic sense too. I don't know if you get what I mean. So yeah, what, apart from you had quit your job and you now needed money to survive. <laughs> yeah, what was, <laughs> why did you feel like I need, you know, it needs to be, did you think about that before you started it? Actually, it needs to be economically sustainable and a for-profit company. And right now you're even employing, you know, I think of a hundred people. So mm. you've really just grown this. Yeah. Was that something that you, was at the back of your mind? Yes, because you know something, people don't understand that sustainability in, like for something to maintain sustainable, it has to have the aspect of continuity. And for something to have the element of continuity, it needs to make fina- uh, financial sense, for example. For you to maintain maybe a certain lesson, you know, different, different parts of the world have different, the cost of living is different. But for you mm-hmm. to, maybe in Nairobi, for you to sustain your life in Nairobi, you have to maybe work or you must have a source of income that will be able to cater for you to get your accommodation, to get your food, to get your clothes, your upkeep, your medical, and have some leftover for leisure. Okay, all that is is the system that powers that is economic. Mm. So for me, sustainability directly translates to economic sense mm. because if I if I bring a solution, let's say I am being donor funded, and that once again, that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying. For, for example, if I am fund, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being donor funded by different people. So you find today I um, make bricks maybe for a school and then the donor will pay for that. And then tomorrow I will make a brick, maybe bricks for maybe a hospital and then the donor will fund that. You see, it reaches a point that the donor will decide to fund another project mm-hmm. based on their individual interest. <laughs> that means if I don't find another donor, then that's the end of my work. Mm-hmm. So that's why if people can see economic sense in that product and put a value, remember the idea is to put value to plastic. And one way of putting value to plastic is by customers buying it. Because if they buy it, the, the, asset, the price tag put there indicates the value of that. And so if the customer can pay for that, then we can also pay back for the plastic. And therefore, we can bring back to the system and like feed the system again and again and again. Hence, sustainability. So for me, if something doesn't make economic sense, it is not sustainable. Yeah, I love it. I think it's an inspiration to see you do it so that hopefully other people can, can also yeah. do it. Completely resonate with what Zambi is saying. My work has been uh, working for NGOs. <laughs> and I have seen, I have seen the effect of donor funding and um, in terms of sustainability of projects or lack of sustainability of projects. I, I completely, completely, like, I mean, like I, I want to high five like 50 times with Edel <laughs> on that because I genuinely believe that no matter what social issue and like Edel was saying, it doesn't matter what social issue it is, it has to make economic sense. In, in the end, it always boils down to money and how you can be able to sustain that money.
Yeah. Yeah. Zombie, you you are an engineer by training. Um super complex. Uh and then you come up with this way of recycling plastic. So without revealing any trade secrets, did you <laughs> did you like come up with this on your own? Were you in a I know you've worked, you've um worked in oil and gas. Did you where where did you like get the if I can call it formula to make this? Mm-hmm. And even that process, I think I had you say once, it took you nine months to make your first break. That's like nine months of just, I don't know, research. <laughs> so maybe I'll walk us through that because one thing I've noticed is, and COVID showed us big time that we don't really manufacture a lot of things here in Kenya. Yeah. I mean, beyond the basics, maybe some food, um, anything like edible. And I remember this case of this um, student who uh, created a ventilator. Um, mm. Okay. And, and 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 they I think it was working and everything, but then months later they it never reached the market just because of that process of it's people think you just create and take to market, but mm. there's a lot of stuff happening. So please just mm. tell us like what that process is of creating something, whether you're patenting it, you know, whether you're who you have to convince that it's a real thing, that the house won't fall down, you know. <laughs> um I think I think the person who you you need to convince as um innovator inventor solution developer is a person who has that problem if you can have that person convinced enough to put a value to it by giving money that's based on the price tag then that is the key thing because it's from there then you create a ripple effect and hence the other stakeholders in the space i.e. government and maybe other um, regulatory agencies come on board there in after. As I stated before, yes, it took me nine months to make the first, like the 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 first, like the really the the brick that I could say yes. It's not ninety percent, like it's not like a hundred the brick. It's like about maybe sixty five percent. During that nine months, I have made enough bricks. Mm-hmm. I was making a brick. And taking to the contractor, they will break it. I take to another one, they say, mm, I don't want this. Another one will at a younger super chini just to test because the idea of the brick is to hold the strength. Mm-hmm. So they will do all this rapid test and give me feedback without me asking them for feedback. I'll just tell them, well, well, can you use this? And then they'll tell me, well, change this, do this, add this, minus this, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And it is that it is with that information that it took me nine months. It was ideally speaking like like pregnant. Like the process was mm. ideally speaking like a, a gestation. It's your baby. So after nine months, that's when I came up with the brick that I was like, hmm, because I took it to the, I, in fact, I remember I showed it to my mom and my mom looked at it and asked me, you're sure there's no cement here? I told her no. And she kept quiet like about two seconds and asked, me, you sure? You're really sure there's no cement here? I told her, no, there's no a single ounce of cement. And that's when I realized, hmm. And then she said, well, I think you can now, maybe you can put for me some in the compound, I can tell. So <laughs> <laughs> if your mom is using it, it's, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Mom approved. Mom approved. So it's, it's good. All this time, I'm, I have quit my job. I have moved back to my mm. mom's place and I am working at a, like, shamba, tabaki. Mm. Mm. So that was yeah. the dynamic one. Mm. In fact, I was so, about to ask I think, where you got the initial uh-huh. resources, where you got the initial resources 
um, the plastic, oh, to, um, to even start uh-huh. yeah, that nine month process. Yeah. So I think when I when I quit my job, I quit my job in 2016 November. So 2016 December was just reflecting and, and asking myself, have I done the right thing? Have I done the wrong thing? It was December. That was everything I, I would do in December. Regrets. Regrets. <laughs> it was not regret. It was just everyone else around me, except my mom was like, you've quit your job mm. in a very lucrative industry mm. for something you are not sure will work. Are you even serious? Who does that in this time and age? Mm. It was only my mom who was like, okay, if that's what you want, she was not like a hundred percent, but she was like, okay, it's fine. You do what you do, what makes you happy. Mm. So then that's when 2017, I moved back to my mom's place because I could not afford my rent. I could not afford my upkeep. So I asked my mom to give me one year. So what she, uh, I asked her to give me one year in terms of for her to give me accommodation and to give me food. And then what I will do is I am a really good dancer, not to blow my But yes, I took myself to school through dancing. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. Blow your own horn, oh, please. I, I saw that you on Twitter. <laughs> I, I saw it. I saw <laughs> So yeah, that's how I spent from now. I, I would stop the business. I would go, I would dance, like I'll do um, shows. I would do concerts. I would dance in events. I have choreographed uh, uh, music videos. I would do that. And then the money I get, and then I dance to Sikum Chana and much Wow. And then I would dance to Siku weekend, Monday, and then so that's how I was able to find myself for one year. Wow. Wow. The dedication is like really amazing, honestly. Um, so you, so I'm, I'm just thinking of this, you quit your job. Um, people kind of think you're going crazy. You started this you start like a nine month process of trial and error. Even you, you're not sure because you're waiting for feedback from people. And then finally you have this, um, this product. Uh, one thing I remember, mm-hmm. like how I, I remember you zombies, we met at um, one of these conferences, youth leaders, and you guys, by that time you had already won. I think you won that you won in your presentation, in your section. At that point, when the world is now starting to realize, like, okay, you're on to something. This is actually mm-hmm. something that is very useful and helpful. Was that support coming after you had like, done all these things yourself? So maybe you had already started selling to the market, you've already established yourself? Or did this now recognition come in later? And how did that affect the way your business was going. Was it a good thing? Was it confusing? Was it was it helpful? Am I you um yeah, is it something you even anticipated, maybe? Um well those are so many questions. Let me start with the ones I remember. One thing people need to realize is you have to show something for someone to either a cash if I'm a, a support. You have to have like a what you call a POC proof of concept. So by the time, by the time the, 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 the media and the, the whole world turns to realize, well, there's something here. It had taken me 
about two, three years underground working on this. Uh, one whole year, one whole year, it was trial and error process. That's the whole of 2017. Trial and error process. 2018 was now that I've known how to make the product, it is to refine the formula and now to, to develop business. Then like the business element of it, I built it in 2018. The whole year 2018 was just mm-hmm. building the business element. Ah, yeah. 2019 was building the tech. I now know how to make one brick. I kind of have the business element aspect kind of figured it out. Not a hundred percent, but I have like 40% figured it out. Now I need to know how to make, I can know, I can make one brick. Now I need to figure out how to make a thousand bricks. So I need to build the machine. Why? Because I cannot get the machines from China or India because the cost is too high. Number one. Number two, the cost of maintenance is even higher. So that means I need to know how to build the tech. So 2019, that's all I was doing, building the tech. Ah, yeah. 2020, remember, 2016, 17, 2018, 2019. No, mm. Yes, mm. Uh, all that time, I am not even generating a single coin. Even. Mm. Not a single coin out of Jijenge. I am, I am Nimekula. Mm. Yes, Jijenge has brought one shilling. So what I did is, once I figured out how to make one, the brick in 2017, 2018, when I was doing this, I was developing a business model. I started fundraising because I knew if I go to do this outside hustle, I'll never achieve, it will never achieve its full potential. So I started fundraising so that I can be able to not only develop the solution, but also update myself. Mm. Ah, yeah. 2019, now with the funding I got, I developed the tech. And then 2020 now was to understanding the market, putting the product in the market and people starting to buy slowly, slowly, giving people discounts, giving people just to understand that, okay, they use the product and then they say, well, change this, change this, do this, I don't like this, I don't, and with that feedback, that's what we did. So 2020 was just understanding the market. FYI, COVID hit us ceremoniously. Mm. And then now in 2020, 2021 now, we are now rea- like fully realizing the, the tech visory. We are fully realizing the product, continuing to master the, the market and now slowly wanting to slowly see if we can diversify. Mm. So, wow. you see, those are five years. Mm. Five years. And I just have yeah. to say, like, I, I like the fact that you've actually outlined that for even um, the people listening, because I think a misconception, even I have, and many people have this, you know, you go in by year one, year two, oh, see, I'll be making profits, I'll be, I'll be okay, I'll be good. And it, it, it really hits people when, you know, you're three years, four years in and you've not seen a single coin or you've not even broken even, you're just paying off expenses. So it's not as glamorous, actually, it takes a while. So I think that's a really good point to note even for us. Yeah, it's definitely very realistic. I'm curious in terms of the funding, how that process of, one, um, I know yeah. you've mentioned you're a, you're a scientist by training and that's your background. So I'm curious in terms of now the business, that process of business development. Um, did you already have like prior business knowledge and acumen to be able to support you through that process or how did that process look like? And then also now with the funding, uh, how was that funding process? And was it mainly Kenyan based domestic funding, international funding? So I'm really curious about that. Entrepreneurship is a skill. Just as how I started, I studied uh, like the science and engineering in school for four years. I knew I needed to learn business, but I don't have the time. So I needed to learn 
everything I need to learn in business in one year. That's where the likes of YouTube and good YouTube teachings and lessons from different entrepreneurs, from different like people, topics, just to understand the business. But there's just so much you can learn from listening to others. You need to do something on your own. The best thing, if you want to be a swimmer, don't buy a book swimming. Go throw yourself in the river and you will know how to swim. So I knew if I wanted to do business, I will have to do business for me to learn how to be an entrepreneur. So then the for, for me to make a business and want again in a in a way that makes economic sense, but patient capital. Especially because we are in the manufacturing uh, sector and the manufacturing sector is a very capital intensive space. Why? Because you have a lot of cap um capital expense expenditure upfront. So for example, you have to invest in space, you have to invest in machinery, you have that machinery has to invest in people, and you have to invest in uh, like stock, procurement, uh, those uh, uh, cogs, goods, uh, the goods that you need to do raw materials and stuff like that. And like, like, and, and like maybe in tech where you can develop a software and you can have people, you can onboard people and small industry where you develop a, maybe, a, maybe a, you're cooking, and you know you'll get the the money the money you you use in making that dish is not as expensive as building a machine. So with that said and done, I knew I needed capital, and not just capital, but very patient capital. And in Kenya, from financial institutions, FYI, I have I have stepped almost in all banks in Kenya, and everyone said no. And now, now I understand why they said no. Wow. Then I was really angry. I was like, why are you saying no? Blah 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 blah. But mm. now, three years down the line, I'm like, yes, now I understand why they say no. Mm. You need patient capital. And I don't mean patient capital like the one bank gives you like one month or three months uh, mm. time and then they start Kuhanda. Mm. Uh, no. You mm. need five to seven years of patient capital. Mm. And the only way you can get that kind of patient capital is from high net worth individuals. Mm. Mm. Angel investors among institutions. Mm. Angel investors, foundations, just just people who are um, who can take that risk. And also, if that money, like if the project doesn't work and that money goes to drain, they will still be fine. Mm. Okay. And those people are the what what are mostly the angel investors are mostly high net worth individuals. And the high net worth individuals, it depends with the the top 1% of the, the, the really wealthy people. Now, if you bring in the Kenyan context, we don't have a very huge bracket of people in that 1%. Because we are, um, we are like, we are a developing country, most people live below the minimum wage. So the US. So in 2017, I would go to banks, banks would say no. I would go to foundations and, and hubs, not mostly foundations, but hubs. I think I've gone to almost all hubs in Nairobi and all of them said no, because all I had at that point in time was just a brick and an idea. Mm. So after working in uh, working Nairobi left right center, I knew, I knew it, it reached after like, like the 10th, 11th month, I knew tighter work. It just, it will not work because mm. people cannot bear the risk. The risk is just too high. So with that said and done, I applied for a program and went to the U.S. Now, when I went to the U.S. now in 2018, the whole of 2018, I was in the U.S. So the idea was to develop the business and I was fortunate enough to have really good mentors and fundraise. And how I fundraise, there's a lesson I learned and uh, I like, I like settling it. Fundraising while you're black. 
that should be a whole topic. What I call fundraising while you're black. When you're fundraising while you're black, you have things working both for you and against. You have the exoticness working for you. So it's very interesting and very captivating. And so people want to listen to you. But you have the lack of information in the market, especially if you're fundraising outside and you're black. You don't have someone who is originally from there. Maybe, for example, in the case for my case, US, I don't have a partner who's American to translate this solution in a language that makes American sense. So I had to do that myself. To make matters even more clearer, there was this potential investor. I went to talk to him and he told me, I was like, why are you not speaking? My, well, like, it's not English. Because I was saying my English is not that bad. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But what he meant was, I didn't have someone who understands the context, the culture, and everything of the, like the American space in a way that mm-hmm. he understands also the solution to translate in that way. For example, when you come to Kenya and you're saying, oh, okay, I, I want to help me send money and all that stuff, you can just say, well, just use M-Pesa. For us, that's normal. That's culture, that's lifestyle. But for someone else, maybe they're thinking, how do I go? Maybe do you have a, a PDQ I can swipe? Mm-hmm. Or do you have, do you, do you accept cryptos? If someone comes and says, I have cryptos. In Kenya, it's, I do, I'm, not, I'm yet to find somewhere where they accept cryptos, you see, mm-hmm. for our service. So that is what he meant in a context that makes sense to them culturally and also like in, in a setup, both in the financial setup and in the social setup. And once I realized that, I started targeting people who are, who are willing to take the risk. The lesson I learned while I was fundraising is People never invest in the solution. I can promise you, if you are thinking you have the best solution and you're fundraising for that solution Mm. and you want an investor to invest in that solution, you are very wrong. Investors Mm. don't invest in solutions, they invest in people. That's so true. That is so true. Because it is you who will make that solution work or not work. Yeah. So with that said and done, I I went to people who I felt connected to. So yeah, that was it. And people who believed in you. I think that's, you know, um, I don't even know where to start because I, I appreciate that you've said that there's good things and bad things about fundraising while black. But the one thing that struck me is people invest in solutions. Um, I'm also trying to build um, my company and I have done a bit of fundraising. I've been around doing a bit of fundraising and uh I, I i know once that someone did mention that it helps that you have a good team you know they said something like you you have a good team with you and that helps and it's it's so true um that people invest in a solution but the challenge now is i mean people invest in the person but the challenge now is that a lot of let me use kenyans africans people who have really good ideas we have not been um, taught how to talk the way you're supposed to or present yourself in a certain way. What you're talking about, speaking the language. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's the truth. So do you feel like, um, this, is a, this might be a hard question, but do you feel like because maybe we 
are at a disadvantage in talking the language when we go out there or we're trying to reach these other investors, that we should look towards more local investors, like push local investors or this, I, I, I do think there are some high net worth individuals, you know, maybe they're not, yeah. maybe they're not putting their money in, they're putting maybe their money in land. Um, do you feel like a that we should people like like you should try and put more pressure on the local people who are high net worth, um, or even do you see do you have any hope for raising money one day raising money locally because then those people understand you you don't have to be doing too much if I can call it that. Yes, um, I think I think um, the next because you know you have different uh, rounds to fundraise yeah. you fundraise yeah, yeah. in different rounds and for me in the beginning the seed stage and the pre-seed stage for me I, I i knew the local space would be a tough one for me just because people people don't like investing in high risk high risk solutions and this was a very high risk solution especially at that point in time um right now yes in fact right now we are categorically targeting local people because they are what we call strategic partners. Now yeah, it makes sense yeah. for them to come on board. But three years, five years ago, it didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on the stage you are in, in fundraising. As far as speaking the language, yes. And people need to learn how to speak the language. And you don't have to go to, oh, start a business school or go to Harvard. Or go you know, to... Strathmore is my, it's my alumni. <laughs> Well, that was such an interesting conversation and we don't want it to end just yet. So we have a part two lined up for you. Stay tuned for that. That's it for now. Thank you for listening to Kusini, the African Grind podcast, where we dive into the amazing journeys of Africans making their mark. Look out for more episodes. Until next time. Bye.